right, Kelly, welcome to... All right, Kelly, welcome to night three of the band showcase on Mixed Up Confusion. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to wow. get there. I was like, do you need me? Is it time for Mixed Up Confusion? <laughs> Man, it needs a killing me. There's just too many people And they're all too hard to please uh, If you haven't been listening to Band Month, we are going through the band, uh, listening to their earliest record, matching up with their latest record, and then we do their second earliest to their second latest. We are at the sweet spot, maybe. Last week was probably better, but I personally would probably think hard and long about paying for this night uh, for a lot of reasons that we're going to get to. But this this night, tonight, we are going to be talking about Stage Fright, which is their third record, and Northern Lights, Southern Cross, which was their actually their final record. You know, Islands kind of was just a compilation of kind of crap that they just sort of threw onto a record uh, and, you know, never forget, son of a carpenter. But... But tonight is actually like competent. We like these are two records that are well defined that make sense. So if you're gonna watch them front to back, I'm gonna say this is probably a better show to go to than the island show. But then you get the band. You know what I mean? Like also, you could leave halfway through if they did. No, or they would. Their light. They would. You they, get their light. Mix it together, maybe. <laughs> go to Christmas uh, someday with the night they drove old Dixie down or whatever the yeah. hell you know. Yeah. That's what's up, Kelly. We're going to start a little bit different this time. So instead of starting with their last album, we're going to start with their earlier one. So we're going to start with Stage Fright, and we're going to go to Northern Lights, Southern Cross. So this is the third record of the band. So this came out August 17th, 1970. Um, and just for just for the rest of this episode's sake, uh, Barney Hoskins, when I mention his name, he's the one that wrote the liner notes for the 2000 reissue so he's going to come up a lot mm -hmm. i'm sort of taking from the the reissues and sort of talking about them so uh for some reason the mixing of stage fright is, is interesting because it was mixed by multiple people so uh todd rungren is a first time producer he would go on later to do meatloaf's bad out of hell the new york dolls uh self-titled record mm -hmm. grand funk railroad bad fingers straight up so he is still a thing still exists in the world and then there's a guy named glenn johns who's in england and todd is in america for some reason they're both doing it and there's a lot of confusion that no one's going to get into on this podcast so if you're interested <laughs> in that confusion and like what was happening with the remasters apparently like people throwing shade on one another and basically telling like Hoskins that he's wrong and that he should check the tapes, but he's like in charge of the tapes. It's fucking weird. Everybody's like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. So everyone's saying it's not my fault for stage fright. And that's not a great sign. No. Let's get into the songs. Track one stage fright is strawberry wine. I shouldn't say that because there's a song called stage fright. Track one strawberry wine. I personally take offense at this song because it mixes up our flow from Richard Manuel starting every album. Why is Levon Helm on the first track? Hate it. I already did not like the song because it wasn't the origin of the song Strawberry Wine that I thought it was, the Deanna Carter song, you know. Strawberry Wine, 17. Nope, that country song that came out in like 
oh. the mid-90s? You don't remember? Yeah, yes, because that's that would make a lot of sense. Because they're I time see, travelers. Thought, no, no, no. I thought this was like oh, the origin of that song. Gotcha. And she had covered it. Oh, you that would have been great. Would you have Would you have then loved it if it was I might have. Because can you I'm see not Helm a pop country. It? Yeah, I can. Because okay. I'm not a pop country fan. But it did. I was like, I don't like this album. Well, there's that song at least. No, it just was a song that not not for me. Uh, very sad. I put Southern Rock in the worst way, so that's not very nice of me. Uh, it's a very straightforward song. The only weird thing is uh, International Treasure Garth Hudson playing the accordion in this one, mm. and there's a lot of accordion throughout both of these records actually. Um, but he's also playing the Lowry organ, which is going to be pretty standard uh, type of stuff. Oh, and this is Levon because I was like, "What is his voice?" Is yeah, Levon singing does Kermit. It. What the fuck? His voice is. Horrible. He's getting older. Yeah, he. Oh, and it's weird how after only a year, he sounds more like his old self. Like he sounds like the person he was making these records in 2010. Yeah. Uh, more than he does even just one year before. So he really aged quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's a weird it's a weird song. It's um. A lot of this stuff is very, um, it's sort of a meta comment on Americana with this record. I mean, you have stuff like um, uh, Time to Kill, Just Another Whistle Stop, you know, talking about a, a version of America that doesn't really exist. And it's sort of reconciling the past present, but also just the memories of the past to the present. And so Strawberry Wine is a pretty simple song. I mean, it really is just like thinking about the good times, you know, drinking wine, hanging out, doing all the stuff. Comparing them into wine. <laughs> track two sleeping written by robbie robinson and richard manuel vocals richard manuel again got garth hudson on that accordion this was released as a b-side for stage fright uh i like the song a lot it's very waltzy um people compare it to king harvest then i turned from the sun and saw everyone searching We'll talk about King Harvest at the end of this because I would like to talk about that in reference to the album. But uh, yeah, this one was of the top tracks. I had a hard time picking which ones were my favorite because I'm not a fan of this album in particular. But yeah. I like this one. Um, it felt dramatic, like a little theatrical. Mm-hmm. Like it had like a story kind of. I don't know. It just it felt like a lot of these songs on here were were kind of cinematic. Um, yeah, it's a simple song. Yeah, there's not too much fucking around. Mm-hmm. Everything sounds really good together. Just organ, piano, guitars, drums. It's- yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Hoskins calls it one of Manuel's liveliest performances, uh, one of the band's most intricate arrangements. Mm. Uh, critic Nick DeRizzo uh, says that this song is, quote, a lament about the life we choose um, and a lonesome song. And it is kind of lonesome. And I didn't really think twice about this song. And then I started finding myself wanting to listen to this more, yeah. more than any of the others. And I do know the greatest hits, and there are multiple greatest hits on this record. So I love hearing those, especially the next one, Time to Kill. But... This one is, um, it's nice. It's I think a nice this is surprise. Uh, one of Manuel's more successful ballads because some of them are so sloggy that I don't want to listen to. And this mm-hmm. one's actually nice. Yeah, his voice is, it sounds a little more upbeat than, yeah, mm-hmm. the super sadness of the other ones. Uh, track three, Time to Kill. This is on their greatest hits. Um, this was a big, big song written by Robbie Robertson. Danko and Manuel are on the vocals. Uh, this was released as a single, but it, it peaked at number 77 in the U.S., uh, reached 45 in Canada. 
But don't worry, the Netherlands got your back. Number 13 in the Netherlands. <laughs> uh, music critic Barney Hoskins states that the song sounds like, quote, a celebration of the mountain hideaway to which they'd last returned. And they reference the Catskills directly. Cat so lazy. Sorry, I just hate that <laughs> But line. he also notes <laughs> that the song <laughs> may just as easy be about be about expressing the group's fear about how the world has encroached upon their bucolic lifestyle since the first two records were made that made them famous he also thinks uh that this song plays it safe describing it as quote the most harmless piece of music the group that the band has ever recorded It's a I, mean, very, I kind of agree. It's a fun song, but yeah, there yeah. really is no teeth to it. It uh, wasn't for me, it didn't grab me. But oh. I do like the, the rag that the piano is doing, because it had a cool old-timey feel. I like that little edition, but... Thanks, uh, Garth. Yeah. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Skip. Skip for me. No, time to kill. <laughs> Cats. Yeah, kills. yeah. Once that happened, I was like, no. June and July. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really uh, and now personally, I, yeah, it's weird too because like sleeping, I've come around to really liking and time to kill. I, I felt the same way. I was like, ah, it's not that good, especially with just another whistle stop. That's another song that I really never listened to, and while I don't really care for the lyrics and stuff like that, I love the fucking chorus. Oh my god, I it's love so catchy. The falsetto he does mm-hmm. on some of those lines. People, people, it's just like so good. So good. Just another mm-hmm. whistle stop. Yeah, it's really good. It's uh, it does have a little bit of a like '70s sitcom theme song vibe mm. to it. Oh, it does. But, but that's uh, not a thing yet. I like it. Maybe they invented the '70s sitcom vibe. Yeah, maybe they totally did. Oh, it also has like an Al Green "What's Going On" kind of mm. thing to it. I don't know. I, I keep doing this with the band where I'm like, this could be a solo song, this but it could. <laughs> this one could be. Yeah, it's like uh, it's again. This one is like talking about sort of the more the darker sort of the America's changing the world's changing and then you know you've got this sort of whistle stop on I don't know like life is being encroached upon that's how I see it and it's like very much in the band's wheelhouse to well, talk about that kind of stuff that's why I was curious what the song is about um because it's like it's, it's it seems to be about injustice in some way but I don't yeah I mean and it's the odd man out you know the rule you can scream you can shout but they'll only call you a crazy fool pay no mind to what you read there's one way home that's guaranteed <laughs> Like, well, to me, I took, like, in a casket. That's what oh, damn. I thought that meant. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, well, I mean. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, some people see it as, yeah, the, the, like an urban America talking mm-hmm. about going off to the cities. You're going to go get killed. Might as well stay in the cat skills. <laughs> Track five, All of Glory, written by, Robert Robbie, written by Robbie Robertson. Vocals, Levon Helm. I can't see this as being 
anybody else but Levon Helm, but it's a weird Levon Helm. It's him singing it like a lullaby. I know. It's like it's a little weird lullaby song. It I is. love it. I was like, well, this it's a cute little lullaby song. It's a very tender, tender voice, yeah. But, uh, and it's, it's fucking sad because it's really like lamenting not being able to be a child and use your imagination mm-hmm. anymore and the whole time he's telling his daughter like, do that. You you can be the whatever. What is he saying specifically? I don't remember what it was. Oh, it's basically just like continue to dream and be whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, and I'll try not to hold you back because I'm not a kid anymore and I have to live. It, like he says, he's the prison walls or something. Like, I know all the glory. I'm second story. It feels so tall, like a prison wall. Yeah. Like Whoa. I'm impeding on my kids' mm-hmm. imagination. Like I'm sure every parent has they had multiple instances where the kids going nuts and being like. You know, crazy and having lots of energy and pretending to be a dragon or doing yeah. whatever, and it's like you have to kind of rein them in, and you just feel guilty for that because you want them to experience it, and you yourself miss when you could do that as a kid. Well, and I would recommend if you're interested in that subject, going back to episode 39, which was ye heavy in a bottle of bread, because mm. it had those type of lyrics too about spilling your juice cup and all of that, right, and yeah. like just kids being around and sort of that seeing your eye, your yourself through the eyes of your children and it's a very heartwarming song but yeah i mean john simon uh producer and uh, another member of the band almost if you will told rolling stone it's a song to a young person i can't be sure uh robbie may have written it for his little girl or it might be more universal than that but yeah. very pretty it's a, and levon singing it is a weird choice and i really really love it like it very much. I appreciate it for what it was. Like Wouldn't listen to it again? Yeah, exactly. Okay, there no, we go. The, yeah, so yeah. a lot of this, I will say, we're getting into that territory where some of this stuff is just not going to be listened to unless it's in the context of the album. Um, you know, Time to Kill. Sleeping might get off a bit, but I'm not going to do that song again. Yeah, so far all I liked, Just Another Whistle Stop and the other one. Yeah. Sleeping, right? Sleeping, yeah. Yep. But <laughs> we're going to have to throw in, oh, you don't know. The shape I'm in. Uh, track six, Shape I'm In, written by Robbie Robertson. Vocals by none other than Richard Manuel. Uh, second only to The Weight. This is the song, the most covered band song. Uh, released as a B-side really? to Time to Kill. It was more popular than Time to Kill. Uh, Columbia Records actually put out uh, advertisements afterwards to tell people that the B side is actually the A side because you actually want to listen to that. So check it out. Um, this is the uh, this is the advertising. Let me pull it out here really quick, just for you to see. I don't know how much I can turn it, but oh, yeah. so this is their advertisement. <laughs> Flipped. Yeah. So the time to kill is the A side, but flip it. The shape I'm in. The band. The single. The shape I'm in. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. So they realize pretty early that like you actually want to listen to this song uh it does mention skid row which if you mm-hmm. want to go listen to uh if the apocalypse comes beat me I, we haven't gone in a single episode of, of band month without talking about beat me uh and you can listen to Anne. we talk about skid row um mm-hmm. and obviously we're referencing it here so clearly still a problem from the 1970s um i i fucking love this song so there's a song about danger in the city. There's a lot of movement to this song, which is refreshing because I feel like we don't get that level of, like, we're fucking going uh, until this. It's a little bit repetitive, but Garth, organ solo, man. I, and this is why it's so classic. Yeah, the organ solo is incredible. And I just think that this is, like, incredibly classic band, like, where they get real crazy. But, like, those lines where it's like...
I fucking love this. According to Hoskins, though, uh, quote, Robbie Robertson did little to disguise the fact that this was essentially about the shape of its singer, Richard Manuel, was in. Over a pounding bass pulse, the shape was a frazzled plea for help from a skid row burnout, a jawbone floundering in the modern world. Go out yonder, peace in the valley, come downtown, have a rumble in the alley, Manuel began, positing the sanctuary of rural life against the hustle of the streets. The band rarely sounded more raw or honest. Mm. So it's sort of talking about the demons that are going to, in the end, take Richard Manuel. But it's incredibly strange to write a song like this that's really dark in the end. And then give it to the your lead singer who the song is about. Yeah, that is That's some weird ass shit. And I, I think that really makes this song even more essential, especially how it all turned out, which is very sad. But I love this song a lot. To say something obvious and stupid because of the time it was written, it feels very 70s and Vietnam-y to me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, sure. There is that. But you did love the organ. I did. This, this song was a great organ. Great organ everything. Yeah. Track seven. The W.S. Walcott Medicine Show, written by Robbie Robertson, sung by Levon Helm and Rick Danko. Um, you've got Garth Hudson, international treasure, on the tenor saxophone, including that solo, as well as the baritone sax. Yeah, I was just like, Sergeant Pepper, it's Lonely Hearts. Yeah, John me. Simon's on that trombone, too. That trombone <laughs> is what makes it yeah, yeah. fucking bizarre. Did I put the word tromboner on here? I did oh, somewhere, no, but I don't That's know. too bad. Oh, no, that's what they're called. A tromboner. Yeah. Oh, I know, but trombone. Okay, come on now. Um, yeah, it also, this was a Beatlesy song for me too. It kind of had like a the come together vibe a little bit with the drums coming in. Well, it's doing basically like Sergeant Pepper, where it's creating like uh, for the benefit of Mr. Kite. You know, it's like creating mm-hmm. this character. And right, exactly. W.S. Walcott Medicine Show. Uh, yeah, this was based on Levon Helms' memories of minstrel and medicine shows in Arkansas hmm. when he was growing up. Um, it's been interpreted as an allegory to the music business, which does make a lot of sense given the lyrics. Uh, the title, though, comes from F. Scott Walcott's original rabbit's foot minstrels um shout out to my boy robbie robertson for doing some research yeah on this one um can you imagine anybody but levon helm singing this song that's a hard no yeah it's fucking great uh the lines that are like uh you know he always holds it in a tent and if you're looking for the real thing he can come show you where it all went i love that i'd rather die happy than not die at all for a man is a fool who will not heed the call it's um it's a good song yeah, it's uh, it's like a circusy cacophony mm-hmm. vibe. I mean, that's actually I'm sure what they're going for. And I do like that um, it's Levon singing, but um, I would am assuming Manuel like is through most of it too. It's like the double vocals on oh totally, Salvo, which gives it oh Danko more, actually Danko is it okay? Mm-hmm. Well, that gives it that even more of a circus. You feel like everybody's like kind of cheering around, having yeah. this weird wobbly time. And yeah, they do really well with that. And as we've said before, every time the band gets together, you're working with magic. And I think some of the, the lesser compositions are where the band feels disconnected from one another. The horns are great, except for, of course, I have to bring in a fucking saxophone to ruin everything. So, Absolutely <laughs> essential. And it's also, this is a mainstay of their live show. So they usually either open or close with this song, which is <laughs> fucking bizarre. Because it's a weird song. Speaking of weird songs, track eight, Daniel and the Sacred Harp. Now, I personally love this song because it's about me, but it was written by Robbie Robertson. Vocals were Levon Helm and Richard Manuel. And I'm going to just say this is maybe what you're thinking of, the interplay between the two of them, because it's beautiful. The two of them singing together. I love it. I don't personally care for this song, but I love Manuel and Helm's vocals. Yeah, I did not like the song at all. Uh, The only bright spot for me was like the strings that it might be a fiddle. Um, 
and the violin. Rick Danko is on is the it, violin, okay. and Robbie Robertson is on the auto harp. Gotcha. Uh, I feel like the slide guitar is really silly and jarring. I think if that wasn't in it, the song would be better, a little more cohesive. Like they'd have more of a theme. Um, well, I mean, Manuel is also singing the songs of Daniel, and Levon is singing the narrator's part. So there's okay. at least like a story. Is there? Because I thought it was the same person the whole time. One and two. What the fuck is the story? I was so confused because they keep switching between I and you, and yeah. I don't know, ever know what's happening. So there's a guy named Daniel that has a harp. Does he have a harp in the beginning? I don't know. Is he the one whose family that it belonged to? I don't know. Is he the one that stole it? I don't fucking know. Yeah. All I know is that whoever ends up with it is sad that they uh, took it. Yeah. What? So this has been described by Barney Hoskins as, quote, an Appalachian reworking of the Delta Blues myth that had Robert Johnson acquiring musical genius in exchange Uh, for his soul. Exactly. Um, So Robertson just said, quote, I guess, I guess. That's always a great, that's a Bob Dylan way to answer a question. (laughs) I guess it's about greed in the context, (laughs) in the context of Christian Christian mythology. Uh, At the time, I was very into sacred harp, sharp note singing. So I, so I had that in the back of my mind. Sure. That's a very Bob Dylan answer. Sure, sure. Um, he also claimed inspiration from the song uh, came from his early days as a guitarist where he was stealing techniques from earlier guitarists like Fred Carter Jr., uh, Roy Buchanan, and Howlin' Wolf. Um, and there's a little bit of that. Then Daniel took out his harp and went high on the hill. He blew across the meadow like a whippoorwill. He played out his heart just for time to pass. But as he looked to the ground, he noticed no shadow did he cast. This is one of the rare band songs that's never been played live. Usually they, they don't have a million songs like Bob Dylan, so it's kind of crazy. I get that. <laughs> Yeesh. <laughs> I, uh, track nine, Stage Fright, written by R- Robbie Robertson, sung by uh, Rick Danko. We've got uh, Hudson again on the Lowry organ, and that solo in this song is fucking great, too. Otherwise, the rest of them are exactly where they want to be. This was uh, weirdly released as a single to go with Bob Dylan's Most Likely You'll Go Your Way and I'll Go Mine from Before the Flood. So it is interesting to note that um, this album sort of uh, came before Before the Flood, before they went, uh, because the band backs up Bob on Planet Waves, which is our episode five of Sun Mm. on the Window. So uh, before they went to go record Northern Lights, Southern Cross... They played with the band and they went on tour with Bob Dylan in 1974. So uh, it's weird that Stage Fright from the 1970s would be pulled out and put on a single with uh, Bob Dylan for that record. So, hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is another theatrical song to me that it felt cinematic. They were trying to paint a picture, uh, yeah. but I didn't care what they were trying to tell me, unfortunately, at this point, because it was just like burnt out. Uh, it sounds like somebody's playing the spoons at one point in this song, mm-hmm. uh, which could be maybe maybe that. john simon's playing the spoons i don't know who knows another great garth solo um yeah he does kill it on this record i have to say i think a lot of my issues with this song in particular and even maybe this album as a whole is manuel's voice does not seem to fit the music that they're making Stanko singing it or whatever they sound so fucking similar oh, okay. to me. like i can't and manuel yeah i can't tell them apart a lot of see that's bad yeah. well it's bad if you can't tell them apart yeah you should be able to because you can on the band it's yeah. much more pronounced. You kind of know when it's not Manuel singing. But it just doesn't feel right. I, like, mm-hmm. the, the music never seems to match his, his voice, which is a bummer. See, and I, I guess I would disagree with that. I, I really enjoy this song. And I love his vocal performance. Um, 
Helm thought this was about the terror of performing. Mm. Obviously, stage fright. Right. Um, some people saw Dylan, who stopped performing around this time as well, 1970. His accident was uh, in 66, but he never really toured after that until the 19 early night. I mean, when he went back on tour with the band in 74, it was this big coming back out party. But Hoskins says it was actually about Robbie Robertson and his fear of playing quote, partly based on Robinson's Robertson's possible psychosomatic illness. Uh, as the band prepared to play in San Francisco, the track was written by Robbie on the piano intended for Manuel to sing until it became obvious uh, that it suited the querulous, uneasy voice of Rick Danko far better. So Barney is not buying. Disagree. Not buying your shit. Uh, I, I like the song. This is another greatest hits song, um, and I think it's I think it's deserving. Again, a lot of these are deserving because of international treasure. Garth Hudson. Yes. Final track, track ten, I believe, on Stage Fright, "The Rumor," written by Robbie Robertson. Vocals by all of them: Manuel Danko and Helm. Everybody's in their normal spots. International Treasure is on the organ. I love Rick Danko's bass line. This song is pretty good. It's not. Um, it's not great. Uh, this to me is like another unsuccessful soul song. Like it could have been a soul song would have been better. Um, but are, is this song about persecuting gay people? Because that's kind of the vibe I got from it. I don't think it. I don't think it is. I mean, obviously, the uh, John Simon says the rumor is about Woodstock. Woodstock, you can tell. He said, "Okay, the, the rumor was about Woodstock. In Woodstock, you can tell from where someone's car is parked who they're fucking." Oh. Okay. Fun. <laughs> uh, I like that the band, they're all together. They're all singing it all together. But I think that this is interesting because I think about Jamama's Surrender mm-hmm. and a whole art movement being born, at just the implication of the song. This song today is, is kind of nuts because of the world that we live in, uh, especially with like Me Too, because there are lines here that say, big men, little men turned into dust. Maybe it was all fun. They didn't mean to ruin no one. Could there be someone, someone here among the crowd who's been accused, had his name so misused and his privacy refused? And then it becomes paranoia at the end. Now all you vigilantes want to make a move. Maybe they don't. You know, I sure hope they don't. For whether this rumor proves true or false, you can forgive and you can regret, but he never will ever forget. Mm. So I think it's interesting to read that today. I mean, that makes a lot more sense as like, men who are accused of abusing women uh, versus what I was thinking for some reason of men being accused of being gay and then being killed or beaten for it. See, and I think that, like, again, you can really make it whatever you want to because it's not, it's it doesn't really work either way perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does work in the way that, you know, you think about rumors, like an actual rumor, all of this sort of applies to it. But again, is a rumor true or not, that's almost ir- irrelevant. It's the fact that there is a rumor probably... There's probably for a reason, but it's interesting. So the song is kind of, it's, it's good. And I think it's well sung and well, well built. I mean, it all makes sense. Some of these songs don't make any sense. So at least this one like had a through line. So I appreciated that. So Kelly stage fright, that's stage fright in the books. This is their third record. Can you imagine being a fan of the band popping into stage fright? You would be very sad. I would. Uh, Every song on this album kind of sounds the same to me. I don't know. At this point, I had such a hard time listening to this album this week. Every time I put it on, it like made me mad because I didn't want to listen to it. I don't know if I just wasn't in the mindset. And I kind of felt that way about um, Northern Lights, Southern Crosses. But I uh, came around to that one when I just like stopped and like, this is what I'm doing. I'm just going to listen to this. Yeah. But then when I went to do that with Stage Fright, I just 
no, nothing like nothing came in. They all just felt like bad version, like worse versions of King Harvest. Like they were trying to reimagine that song a bunch of different times, but it never landed. Um, I mean, there's it definitely features funk, soul, and gospel, but none of the songs were really catchy enough for me to remember like any of the lyrics or anything that was musically particularly spectacular. I mean, I know I mentioned Garth a couple times because that's what does stand out, but like. I don't fucking really remember any of these songs. Well, I don't... But I think what's interesting about that is that I don't really... I remember there is a solo. But I don't really remember the solo solo? in the same way that you remember it for um, Chess Fever or something like Mm -hmm. that. You know, it's like those songs are so good and put together that, yeah, it does become a facsimile of songs from before. And that's... We'll talk about that at the very end because I think that's the most important thing that we can possibly bring up is the fact that they are just another version of a different song. So, Kelly, let's move on to 1975's Northern Lights, Southern Cross. It was released on November 1st, 1975, uh, a year after they backed Bob for Planet Waves, and right after they were finished touring the country with him, uh, that came out, we'll listen to Before the Flood at some point, on Sign on the Window, so we'll definitely have another opportunity to talk about the band. Before we even start, I just want to get through who's playing what on this album. Rick Danko is playing bass, double bass, guitar, violin, banjo, and trombone. Levon Helm, drums, mandolin, guitar, harmonica, percussion, and obviously singing. Richard Manuel, acoustic and electric piano, keyboards, organ, drums, lap steel, guitar, and percussion. Robbie Robertson, bass, guitar, clavinet, melodica, percussion. International treasure, Garth Hudson, organ, keyboards, piano, accordion, sax, synthesizers trumpet horn oboe clarinet flute piccolo a chanter which is the part of the bagpipe that creates melody mm-hmm. kind of like a recorder what i fucking knew there was a clarinet on one of those songs <laughs> <laughs> That's <what> I did, <laughs> so anyways they are on some shit and yeah. i think honestly i would say that this this being their last true official uh song uh, or album i mean it it makes sense that they kind of go for broke and i respect going for broke because when it succeeds it's better than anything they've ever done and when it doesn't it's fun to listen to but it's forgettable and i would say 60 percent of this record is forgettable but the the remembering one the, the good songs are great so let's start with track one a forgettable song forbidden fruit can you play the beginning of this real quick And it made me think of that moment at the beginning of Things Have Changed where it goes, mm-hmm. like, oh, like that cool like, little, turning a yeah. dial almost. Um, but yeah, it's just so after four seconds, it's just like, okay, it's so boring and long, and I just don't know why it needs to be six minutes. I think the organ is cool because Inter- International Treasure, Garth Hudson. oh, <laughs> coming around, yes, indeed, but it's just like cheesy and unending, and the guitar solos can't save it, and I just that just make the song longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's a long one i i think like uh, they try to go they try to have that good intro song and, and in a way we we don't agree that star bray wine is the strong 
intro to an album song. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, even if some of the like lyrics inside of it and some of the ideas sort of carry throughout Stage Fright. Forbidden Fruit, I, I don't know. I don't think that this is a very strong opener. I don't know if you want to start with Ophelia. I don't. I don't know if you want to start with Acadian Driftwood because that would have been an amazing beginning. But I don't think you could have held throughout. So this is a weird song that's not great, but it's not horrible. And if that's what we're in for, it's it's kind of a bummer. So this is a song I don't return to a whole lot. Nope. Track two, another song that I don't return to a whole lot, Hobo Jungle. Uh, vocals are, are Manuel. And this I enjoyed because it was a connection to Woody Guthrie Month hmm. from last year. So we got the hobo, hobo code, riding the rails, the hobo right. jungle. So literally that's the only reason I have anything to say about this song. It's just it connects to Woody Guthrie Month from before. Which was a great time. I knew it was Manuel singing this time. Oh, good. Or at least I guess. I guess I can just shoot with that every time. I'm going to be right. Probably like 60% of the time. True. Uh, well, because you know the difference between Helm. Shoot. Yes, You're not that's very good with Daniel in the yeah. Uh But yeah, just another one of his ballads. It just put me to sleep, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitar is nice, I guess. And the UFO sound of the organ is yeah, interesting. But... I agree. That is the best part about it. And But like the, again, the, the lyrics, just like with the one before, it's very heavy handed. It's mm-hmm. very like... I'm a hobo on the road. Isn't Woody Guthrie did it better. <laughs> like even Bob Dylan couldn't reach the Guthrie. I, Guthrie is he he lived the life. Unlike yeah. you, unlike Dylan, let him handle it. Sorry. End of end of story. All right. Finally to the meat. Track three. One of the band's finest accomplishments. Period. Ophelia. Written by Robbie Robertson, sung by Levon Helm as if it could be anybody else. Garth Hudson on the organ, synthesizer, trumpet, horn, oboe, clarinet, and the flute. Everything. This was the lead single for the record. Total it makes total sense. I fucking love this song. Yeah, this is the first bit of life in the album. We're like, oh god, okay, they are still want to have fun and like make funk songs. Mm-hmm. And then funk is very much the theme. Oh, of I this mean, album. it's a great start. And then. Dun, dun, dun. It's actually really great. This is the, what I wrote, talented tromboner. <laughs> because they have that plunger on the thing. Yeah. Making no sure, sounds, sure, which sure. is great. Uh, Garth Everywhere. Garth Everywhere. <laughs> I, it literally is everything. Um, I love the. I, lo- I love it all. Um, according to Robertson, he said, quote, the chord progression for Ophelia was something that could have come out of the 1930s. The storytelling was ancient and modern in the same breath. The full-on modernism in the sound and the arrangement was paramount in Garth's experimentation. It was unquestionably one of his greatest feats, in my opinion, on any band song. Mm. When you think of Ophelia, I think a lot of people automatically go to, at least knowing the name comes from Shakespeare a little bit, but Barney Hoskins says that it didn't actually come from Shakespeare. It didn't come from Hamlet. It didn't come from um, from Othello or anything like that. It came from Minnie Pearl. She was a singer, like a country folk singer in the 1950s. Uh, it was her real name. Oh, which is very strange, but Shakespeare scholar Stephen Bueller steps in to say that no, he sees echoes of Shakespeare, even if they don't want to admit it. Uh, he says um, that perhaps Ophelia is a black woman in a southern town as well. That's another shade of it, um, who was forced to flee the southern attitudes at the time. 
uh, toward interracial relationships with a white singer. Uh, lines like, honey, you know we broke the rule. Was somebody up against the law? Uh, Please darken my door. Could just be a reference to her instead of just a shadow. Um, so I found that interesting that, you know, you can read Shakespeare into it. You can read, again, classics, Southern, even history into this. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, Loving vs. Virginia was 1950, you know, when miscegenation laws were outlawed. So it's like, that's still a thing. I thought it was a story about interracial yeah. marriage or relationship. Um, but I also thought it could just be like, a chick is kind of bad news, but yeah. you want her around because... She's fun. Well, and I think a lot of people also like it because it's, it's, you never actually say anything about a relationship. It's more of, it's just a friendly song. You're almost saying, come back. You know, where did you go? It's not a, it's not that I love you. There's no profession of love. There's no profession of anything. It's mainly just, I see it like as, as an old friend. You reminded me of Kendra. You can cut that up. But I was like, this song's about Kendra. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, come back home. Mm-hmm. Are you in trouble again? Did you do something crazy again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the old neighborhoods just ain't the same. While the best things always disappear. Yeah, it's a very like forlorn song, and I love it. I love it. Speaking of songs that I love so much, track four, Acadian Driftwood, Robbie Robertson, every one of them trading vocals, Helm, Manuel, and Danko. We've got Manuel also playing the clavinet, uh, acoustic guitar, open tuning for Robbie Robertson. Garth is on that fucking accordion for life. He's also playing the piccolo and the chanter. And we got Brian Burline showing up to play the fiddle, which I think is incredibly important. Yeah. This song is the best band song we've ever written. Robert Robertson's greatest achievement. The war was over and the spirit was broken. The hills were smoking as the men withdrew. We stood on the cliffs. I love this song. It's so beautiful. It feels like snow. It feels like a Canadian winter. Ugh, I don't know how they achieve it. I don't know why an accordion, a piccolo and stuff do that to me. And obviously this song is hard because I just have incredibly personal connection to this song. I was listening to this song at, a, at the perfect time. I was up in the mountains in college in Wise, Virginia, which is just in the Appalachian Mountains. It had nothing to do with this. But it was certainly that snow, the cold, the isolation. It's incredible. And I just think it just, it, the way that it hits every single verse and it does the thing that the band is perfect at and when they can do, it's perfect. And this is a perfect song because it's all three of them singing over one another. Mm-hmm. No one's taking one verse. It's not Daniel and the harp. It is all three of them on each verse. And it's fucking great. Fucking great. I like the song. I don't like the piccolo. I wish that was on it. I think that makes it silly because you really get there with the, the fiddle, especially like that thing is in because the, I, I don't know what the song is about specifically, but it doesn't feel happy. No, it's um, not happy. I mean, it's I don't know if it's about a specific event in it Canada's is. history. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we can talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But 
So you take away all of the gravity with that fucking piccolo. I just don't believe that. I don't like it at all. I just, I to me, it's all, it's all. But it's that all. piccolo part aside, that really just like took me out of it, um, is great. I really enjoy, like I said, the fiddle coming in and and the accordion sounds. That's interesting that it's that um, the bagpipe sound too that's blending in there. Yeah, they're just doing so much stuff that you, I can't clock a lot of it. But um, yeah, and they speak French at the end. They do, which is a lot of fun. So, I mean, just to go over it a little bit, so we'll get into the song, uh, like, where it comes from. I mean, there's not a whole lot. I'm not going to get deep into it, but the the expulsion of the Acadians from Quebec and from Canada, that's where we get Cajuns. The Cajuns are the Acadians that came down. Oh, no shit. Yeah, from the Plains of Abraham. I mean, these are real things. So they're they're on the St. Lawrence River. Um, The British take over Canada after the War of 18, uh, after the French and Indian War in 1763. They take over and they're like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck on out. You fucking Catholics beat it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, they head on south and that's what the whole, the, the song ends with. Um, what is it? Um, I've worked in the sugar fields in new Orleans and telling everybody come on down. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's where we get the, the you know, the Frenchness of Louisiana, not only cause it was a French port in a, in a world port for so long, but like, they're a huge influence down there and mm. uh and the acadians sort of morphed into just cajun country so the whole that's all combined together so it's very interesting and for a lot of people up there um it was it was just a big thing you know it's it's persecution of people for their beliefs and being cast aside and i i also love this song because the band is so funky and american and take american music um, and history and history, especially for Levon. I mean, Levon is so lean to, especially for the band. I mean, the self-titled record, the self-titled record is nothing but songs about the South. So it's right. really fun when the band, who are four fifths Canadian, can have a Canadian song. I really like that about it. Me too. And to have Levon, the connection there, because he, he grew up in Arkansas. I mean, it's right there. Right. I mean, Louisiana's right there. So to have him on the track too, it's this melding of a perfect world where you have Canada with Southern America, which is exactly what the Acadians turning into the Cajuns was. And I know I'm simplifying it to death, but uh, yeah, I just, I love this song. Um, I just think why I love this song too is like all of the little flourishes. Like uh, in the first verse, we stood on the cliffs. Ooh, we watched the ships. Like the way that they sing is incredible. In the second verse, um, Helm sings, we had Ken living south of the border. I always heard Ken. Oh, I was like, who is Ken? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, he's the only character in this song. Uh, so I, I literally I just found out it's Ken today. Oh. I, would, I always thought it was. Kinfolk, we had Ken living no. south of. Probably hanging out with Chester. I mean, we don't know. Um, they're a little older, but they've been around. They wrote you a letter. Life is a whole lot better. So pull up your stakes, children, and come on down. I love that. Um, and then the chorus, just rising out of that, is perfect because it's all of them singing. Verse three broke down along the coast. Mmm. But what hurts the most? Manuel, man. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Uh, and then the final verse, as we talked about, uh, Sugar Fields of New Orleans. We worked in the sugar fields up from New Orleans. It was evergreen up until the flood. You could call it an old man, haunt you where you're going. Set my compass north, I got Oh, 
Oh, so good. We are bundled up in 50-degree weather. We do not, at this moment, have winter in our blood. No. But I think that that, like that cold, it just feels cold. It feels like you're bundling up against like this rush of piccolo. And it's amazing. I just, I can't. There's not enough blankets in the world. <laughs> I think that this is a perfect song. Um, the LA Times, in their review of this record, spoke broadly. Uh, quote, where Acadian Driftwood offers Robertson in his familiar role as a storyteller, there's an intimacy and a personal vision in much of this album, Northern Lights and Southern Cross, that gives it the overtones of a solo work by a singer-songwriter. But no singer-songwriter ever had as rich and flexible a means through which to present his music. Perfect encapsulation of the band, because it is very much Robertson's id. But you have Leave on Fucking Helm and Richard Manuel and Rick Danko, an international treasure Garth Hudson at your command. Oh my God. And that's why I think top, you know, top bands of all time, if you're going to do like an all-star game, you could take a top five. You could take the five. You could just take the band and the band can compete with the Stones, with the Beatles. I think that they're on that equal footing. That's just my personal opinion. So I love this song. It's a part of a book called American Driftwood, um, talking about Cajun and Zydeco music. I'm not familiar with Zydeco, uh, Z-Y-D-E-C-O. Um, but in American Songwriter, um, the, this, the author of that points to Acadian Driftwood as a masterpiece of Acadian music. So it's interesting that the idea of Acadians probably is still very much alive in the Cajuns in America and the Acadians still left in Canada. So it's really interesting that they, they even though maybe they're not Acadian or whatever, this is definitely their theme song. Pop that up. I mean, imagine somebody writing you a theme song. It's fucking amazing. And having just like the empathy. And I love it too because we talk about Bob Dylan in history. He gets a lot of historical stuff wrong. Joey, great example. Uh, Hurricane, when he does the Hurricane Carter song. Mm -hmm. They're wrong. They're not factually correct in any way. But it's not really about the facts. It's more about the underlying emotion and the underlying like gist of the song. The the injustice of the world or or whatever the case may be and this song is factually inaccurate but really you wouldn't know and it really cuts and it's really good i fucking love it in the very end do you know what they say no something acadia yeah you know acadia i long for the country i'm homesick and then the next verse your snow acadia makes tears in the sun or uh, for the sun and then the last one is i am arriving acadia or i'm coming to acadia very beautiful and that is especially beautiful like out of nowhere and I love how like the music also drops out as it's just kind of like they're just like picking like yeah. picking at the fiddle picking at the guitar and I think Robbie Robertson's guitar on this is amazing I could talk about this all day it's, it's my favorite song on this record and it's great I think Zydeco music is Afro-Caribbean music would make sense because again New Orleans is very much yeah. an influence of that world and so was uh, the St. Lawrence River for the longest time was the busiest river in the world. You know, the French and the English were both I fought wars over it. So anyways, moving on from the high that is Gideon <laughs> Driftwood, the greatest song the band has ever written to a great song that I really enjoy called Ring Your Bell. Uh, obviously, Robertson wrote it. Uh, Danko Helm and Manuel both sing on it. All three of them sing on it. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's a real simple song. Uh, let me... Yeah, Ophelia, Acadian Driftwood, this song, and then Rags and Bones were like Ooh, nice. the ones of, of the album. But um, he says ass in this song. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Saucy. Gasp. Saucy. Well, for people who don't like cuss often. Uh, also, it's is this song about, at all. Yeah. Is this song about uh, bootleggers? I 
I don't actually know. Because it kind of sounds like somebody's smuggling stuff and the fact they're saying make the medicine. Yeah. I um, mean, that's what I think. And also, like, yeah. That would be my guess. But I like that it's fun and funky. Also, there's like a progression uh, of the, like, there's like a minor progression during it, during the course, I think, where it leads yeah. and it changes, which is pretty cool. Um, and like the outro. Oh, yeah, it's during the bridge. That's what it is. Okay. So the, there's like this cool minor progression during uh, the bridge, and then it goes back to the, to the outro. So I think that's why it really tinges this for me as like a weird bootlegger story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shit going on. 80 cents and horns and. 80 cents before the 80s weren't even a thing, my yeah. friends. Yeah, wow. It's amazing. Future. They went into the future. But yeah, it's good. It's yeah. Especially against some other songs. Fair enough. This uh, next track, track six, I believe. It makes no difference skip skip this is uh on the greatest hits and, Why? Uh, <laughs> uh danko is singing I-, I think we're getting a pattern here not a danko fan uh, <laughs> uh garth is on the organ and the sax and uh, that's right why you're not into it yes uh i think it's an overrated song uh, i don't know why it's on the uh, greatest hits uh, there's better songs on this record that aren't a part of the greatest hits. And uh, that chorus, though, I got to say, is lovely. And I think Danko does crush it. I'm a Danko fan. I'm a Danko fanboy. I have to say it. I'm coming out right now. I love it. I love his vocals on this. This song is fine. I think it's overrated, but it's it's fine. It's just another way too long song. Uh, it It's supposed to be like, you know, I love you and I'm sorry, but it's... I don't know if it's Danko's voice or what, but it never feels like it never never lands for me. It just like doesn't. You got to go full cheese if you're gonna do a cheesy love song. You gotta really commit because it's like he never gets there, so I never believe it. Okay, I don't know. It's just Uh, Robertson said about the song that he wrote it specifically for Rick to sing. Uh, and when we first started discovering the possibilities, it kept expanding to more levels of emotion. You don't believe that? No, statement. I do not. What Garth and I could add to finalize the statement of the song was purely instinctual. And I like that. That's a very interesting take. Like it between Robertson and Garth, who don't. Uh, Robbie sung the one song, but usually they're in the background. They're the ones making the music. I love that instinct between the two of them, like able to create this music just off of one another. Mm-hmm. And then to have these three that you can just pick and plug and play wherever they got to go doing the doing the shit so yeah it's, it's a good song but it's not it's not my favorite track eight the insane just hey garth you want to have a showcase enjoy <laughs> jupiter hollow a song out of time like it's like a ufo coming down the synthesizer is out of control but in a weird way it settles down it does the thing that the 80s when we were talking about bob dylan for empire burlesque if the song underneath of it is is good enough then I can excuse the weirdness. And I keep in mind at all times listening to this that this is 1975, is not 1981. So I have to remember. And as long as I do that, I give it a pass. Because then it seems like cutting edge. Not oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is like something that people thought music would be. And this is, I think a lot of people probably could hear the song and be like, yeah, that's the future. That's, the future. that's yeah. what I want to do. And it's not. And I'm glad it's not the future. This song is insane. Yeah. 
is this song about Game of Thrones? Because <laughs> right, and it's like really epic too. It does the the Led Zeppelin type of thing where you're like taking the characters. I mean, they like right. sing songs about oh, fucking yeah. Lord of the Rings. This feels that way too. Like, mm-hmm. what is it, Jupiter Hollow? Where are we going with this? Um, it's worth noting that this was the first album, and obviously it's their, their last album, but it had 24 tracks at their disposal, and they definitely made use. So this was the first one they did. Um, they also had new synthesizer technology, including an R, RMI computer keyboard, ARP, and Roland mono, monophonic, monophonic solo synths, a mini Moog, and an ARP string ensemble and a new Lowry synthesizer. Oh, wow. So Garth's got tons of toys. Yep. And he puts it all together. Stacks on stacks on stacks. stacks, on stacks. <laughs> so, uh, again, he's a treasure for a reason. Yeah. It's uh, too long. But the, there's a really cool guitar sound. It's like a blah. Mm-hmm. It's very neat. Um, yeah. And it does make you feel like you're floating in a space of points, but the song's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's bonkers. And Levon Helm singing it, I think, is another yeah, weird, weird, call. weird choice. Uh, last song, and this is really, in a way, the last song that the band presents to us. It's a weird last song, but I kind of love it. Rag and Bones. Um, I immediately thought of My Dad Wrote a Porno and the Rag oh, and yeah, Bone Man. Oh, yeah, Rag and Bone Man. Absolutely. Oh, man, it's amazing. But I have to say I love the end because if we talk about how uh, it's instinctual between Garth and um, Robbie Robertson doing the music together, it ends with the two of them sort of riffing it out like together. Um, and I think it's a really great culmination to the band as a whole. I think it's amazing. I, I like the song. This was my my of the four that I enjoyed on this album. Yeah, uh, it is like the band does disco, but in a good way. I like because I don't necessarily hate disco anyway. So yeah, um, there's a little guitar sound when he says "cat fight." It goes. Meow. Did you notice? That? <laughs> I did. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> which is really fun. I did. Yeah, and I thought this was kind of Dylan-esque, observational, kind of rambly song. Yeah, um, complete with a mention of an organ grinder, and yeah. it. This also felt like cinematic and dramatic to me. Like they're trying to create an atmosphere, like a backdrop to a, a movie about like a dark city. Dragon Bone Man. Yeah, it's, it's all sketchy and everyone's scared. Yeah. Uh, but it has a lot of movement to it and there's like a, a call to action in it, which the other ones didn't really get there. Um, the corporate, oh my gosh, the core progression going down the scale um, kind of gives that, that darker vibe to yeah. it where it's like, ooh, we're slipping into the alley orbit. Yeah. Scary. That's a great. I mean, it's, it works. Yeah. Trolley car rings out the morning. The whistle blows at noon. A cat fight breaks open the night. While a watchdog stay at the moon. A preacher on an orange crate. With a salvation liked it better i did but the songs are too long um there's only eight of them nine yes. of them eight of them but it still remains the song is too long uh, and there it has a more cohesive sound than maybe like obviously music from big pink but even like the band but i don't know if that's like for better or worse like there's not a lot of variation um yeah but, i think I mean, that they settle in i think again they let garth off the hook like they just let him go and that's really kind of the big story of the band musically. Like, 
Garth just does his thing. And that's yeah. very confusing at times because they do seem to gel. But these songs without Garth would not be what they are, but they could potentially be better. Right, yeah. And that's a weird thing to feel. I think that was the biggest detriment is that there was too much shit going on. like Too much Garth. Absolutely, the idea of him having way too many toys is very true. Just because you have 24 tracks you can record into doesn't mean you need to. Yeah. Um, but then you, but I, but then for every Jupiter Hollow, there is you would I would say an Acadian Driftwood where you can do it deftly. But I don't know if they did it deftly every time. Yeah. That's the problem because Ophelia is a great example of cacophony that sounds brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I keep sorry to go back to Jupiter Hollow, but it just does it doesn't work. On tracks like that. I mean, that's the, the risk you run, though, when you are really trying to be at the, the cutting edge of stuff. Like, you're True. trying to make new sounds and seeing what works and what doesn't. And this was seen as a comeback album. I mean, yeah. this was this was quite popular. I mean, time. I definitely liked it better than, than Stage Fright this week, for sure. The, yeah. And like I said, the, the first couple times listening to it, I just was not... I was not into it at all. Yeah. Because this is not an album I would just listen to to have in the background for fun. Because yeah. I think the depths of of what makes the songs on this good you have to be listening to to appreciate and hear because there's so much shit going on so unless you can sit there and tease that out by actually just i'm gonna listen to this and do nothing else for a minute you miss all of the the good parts it's a great point so it's worth listening to i probably wouldn't listen to it again i might listen to katie and driftwood again and i feel yeah yeah that's about it that's about it fair enough so in the end uh so this being night three of our band month uh, if we're, we're staging a showcase for the band, I would be tempted, obviously, my love for Acadian Driftwood, to go to this right. uh, show above all others, mainly because it is so weak on the other, on the previous two nights that we've already showcased. Um, so I find that interesting. I can't wait to keep going with this. So we're going to keep going to night four and night five coming up. So we still have more of the band month to go. In conclusion, I want to come back to a statement that you made before about. There, when I mentioned King Harvest and you saying, yeah, it's almost like a t- trying to do King Harvest 12 times. Yeah. Um, in a lot of the reviews and stuff that I that I read and even just thinking about it, that's pretty much where they're at. And it's very strange. I, I've got to feel for a band to be consistently um, compared to their previous work and to never transcend it. Because in my readings... Um, Sleeping was the new King Harvest. Just Another Whistle Stop was the new Lookout Cleveland. Mm. Ophelia was the new Rag Mama Rag. Or maybe Up on Cripple Creek. Or maybe Stage Fright. Acadian Driftwood was the new Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Ring Your Bell was the new Rag Mama Rag. Um, It's like everything is being compared to what you had already done before. And when you're constantly being told that you're remaking songs... I'm sure that doesn't do good for morale, you know? Like, you're never going to move beyond Dixie. Night they drove old Dixie down. Even though you make something like Acadian Driftwood, the first response is, oh, this is their Night they drove old Dixie down. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, and, and it's not just probably a one-to-one like that, but it's like they tried such ambitious things with those songs. I mean, uh, a Cripple Creek, even Lookout Cleveland, Rag Mama Rag, that I feel once you put that much ambition into a song every other song if they don't measure up to the ambition or they do they'll just be compared against another time you were ambitious and not it's less to do with probably subject material more like man they really took a stab at that yeah and oh remember that one time they did 
oh yeah let's actually go listen to that record instead so i just found it interesting reading it that i was like every one of these you couldn't go through a review without them being like you remember night they drove old dixie down don't worry there's one song like that on the record acadian driftwood you'll really enjoy it it's like well that's that's helpful that makes me maybe want to buy the record but it's also reductive sure so yeah these are two albums that i don't go back to a whole lot um, you were surprised by some of these showing up on that Greatest Hits from 2000. So we'll talk about that 2000 um, compilation probably on night five. And you can just, once you learn all the songs, you can sort of riff on what should not be in and what should be in. Because I think we'll have some strong opinions about that. But otherwise, next week, we're going to probably the worst night, I think, overall. Um, two week albums. We're going to be listening to Cahoots, which already doesn't doesn't make you excited and then another one called moondong matinee which is just covers so we're not going to dive really deep into like the history of the songs we're just going to more talk about the songs themselves and then our final night night five we're going to listen to rock of ages so we're going to do the band and their best element which is live these songs become much better um as they're played live oh i bet because you can't fuck around as much can't fuck around and you also get to see all of them doing it and we can truly once and for all judge international treasure garth hudson and we will see how much of a treasure he is on stage hint he's a fucking treasure (laughs) we'll see you tomorrow night for night four cahoots moondog matinee um a lot of you might not be there you already went to the show probably last night (laughs) maybe you were here tonight but we'll see you at least for night five see you then bye Bye.